You're listening to the Opportunity Zones podcast. Get ready to grow your wealth with insights and strategies for qualified opportunity fund investors. And now here's your host, Jimmy Atkinson. Welcome to the Opportunity Zones podcast. I'm Jimmy Atkinson. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Clint Edgington, founder of Nest Opportunity Fund. Clint joins us today from Columbus, Ohio. Clint, it's great to see you. How you doing? Great, man. As always, I'm thrilled when I get to talk to you, Jimmy. Oh, that's too kind. Well, thanks for coming back on. Uh, Clint, you've been on a lot of my OZ Pitch Day events over the last few years. I don't know how many of them you've been on. Maybe four, five, six, seven, eight. It's it's hard to keep track now. But um, So a lot of my audience, high net worth investors, family offices, advisors, they may already be familiar with you and with Nest Opportunity Fund, having seen you on my platform, having seen you on OZ Pitch Day in the past. But for those who may be unfamiliar, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, and what is Nest Opportunity Fund? Sure. Um, Nest Opportunity Fund is a uh, Opportunity Zone fund. It was started with uh, in 2019 when the final regs went in. That, that day, we kind of opened up, been prepared for it. And we do small residential real estate in Columbus, Ohio, and Lexington, Kentucky. Um, heavy rehab. We usually take kind of the uh, most burnt out, down, burnt out houses uh, on a certain block uh, in an upcoming area, and we kind of uh, basically rebuild them from the inside, and then hold them and rent them. So, going back as far as background goes, I, uh, you know, my parents bought their first small residential real estate property in 1990. So growing up, you know, I mowed their yards and served my first eviction notice, I think when I was 16. And uh, um, so it kind of, it's the, uh, the mom and pop landlording is, is kind of in the blood. Um, and, and we're still kind of in that space. So I, uh, you know, for a while I went out to Chicago, did some um, expert witness work for financial institutions. And then, well, I mean, at first I was just pushing spreadsheets around. Um, but then um continued kind of investing in smaller real estate with my family and uh and also a fellow in Lexington Kentucky and then we uh kind of had a capital gain in 2018 we had started an investment advisory firm Beacon Hill and um we started our own OZ fund and we called it a fund but it was just the three of us um me my mom and Jeff in Lexington and we were doing we've been funding his deals for a while so we basically just started doing what we've been doing in the past. He already had about a couple hundred single families there that he had rehabbed and they were in OZ census tracks, which we didn't know what that word meant at the time. And uh, it was just kind of like, gosh, I have a cap gain and you have a cap gain. And we've got people who are doing this exact work in this exact neighborhood. Let's, uh, yeah, let's not pay the tax. So uh, yeah, it started in 2018 and some of our investment advisory clients had an interest um, but the initial language is kind of murky on multi-asset uh, funds and raising capital for them. So we didn't launch until, you know, the final regs went through. So yeah, 2019 we launched and now, uh, you know, we're still a small fund. We're very kind of mom and pop-ish feeling. You see our our marketing investor letters to our investors that we send. It's uh, They see the sausage factory. It's not glittery. It's not uh, glossy. Um, but, uh, you know. We we do what we say we're going to do, and we kind of keep on plodding. Oh, that's great. No, and it started because you and 
your family, your partner had had this capital gain, had this need to defer it into projects that you were already working on that happened to be in opportunity zones. And then you saw a need from your uh, RIA clients. They're like, hey, I want in on this. And now you're raising capital from new outside investors as well. Uh, I think that's why you like to join us on on our OZ Pitch Day events. What, what, what would you say is your main approach to Opportunity Zones? You mentioned you're doing some some developments in the Midwest, but can you unpack that a little bit more? What is that, What exactly is it that you're doing in your Opportunity Zone projects? Yeah. Um, basically, we, we purchase properties, so some single families, duplexes. You know, our largest is a, a small 31 unit, um, but mostly going to be duplexes, quads, eight units. Um, and we purchase usually, you know, pretty beat up properties. Uh, and we're going in. We, what we've seen is, is that, you know, to get that substantial improvement uh, that's required for the OZ rules, um, generally speaking, we're replacing mechanicals. So once you replace mechanicals, you're kind of, you're kind of replacing all the cosmetics in the envelope as well. So heavy, heavy rehab, um, which, you know, uh, creates operational, you know, issues for sure. Uh, but also kind of decreases the pool of, of competing buyers, uh, especially in Lexington. You know, it's a little smaller than Columbus. So, yeah, we work on that and it takes, you know, it takes a good amount of time. We buy them with cash. Uh, we rehab them with cash. And then once we're done, we uh, will go and we'll get financing and do it again. That's great. And is it just in those two cities? Is it just in Columbus and Lexington where where you're developing? And what do you like about that part of the country and those two cities in particular? Yeah, uh, just in Columbus and just in Lexington. Uh, I mean, the main thing that I like is that, you know, I'm in Columbus. And so I think real estate's a ground game where uh, it, it's it's so easy to um, to let costs start to move up on you, especially when you're not there or one of your partners isn't there. Um and in Lexington, we have the same thing where the guy who's doing the rehab work there, he's he's a partner in our GP. He's an investor in the LP. 20% of his fees being a GC gets reinvested as an LP. Um, so, you know, we're, we're kind of as lined as, as I think we can be, um, but you got to be there. Uh, I mean, I think especially in times like this where you're not just going to get returns based on market multiples increasing. Um, you know, you kind of need to pay attention to the blocking and tackling. Yeah, you got to pay attention to those costs. Those costs creep up. Um, yeah. By the way, an older uh, former business partner of mine, he would use the saying, hey, you're going to have people stealing from you if you don't have your eye on them. And I think he meant that kind of tongue in cheek, people stealing from you, right, Clint? Like they don't, they're not oftentimes literally stealing from you, but if you don't have your eye on everything and all the costs that are happening boots on the ground like you said it's such a ground game like you're you're gonna you're gonna let those costs soar up one way or another uh just because your attention turns elsewhere um so i think yeah that's, and you know not even right? just not even stealing i mean i don't i mean for example in columbus we we hire um folks who've graduated from um some sort of addiction program for mm -hmm. the actual rehab work um and i was concerned about that at first certainly um but uh, haven't had an issue, you know, with that. Uh, I mean, we had some break-ins in some of our kind of properties because we are in kind of up and coming, but not there yet type neighborhoods. Mm -hmm. um, but also just like, a, you know, incentives are never completely aligned with different people doing different things. 
Um, so, you know, you kind of, you got to just be there and like, if they know that you're going to be there looking at things, then, um, things move at a little different pace. Um, but you know, not, not just us being in the, the areas. I mean, so we, we looked at, um, you know, anywhere within kind of a five hour drive of Columbus. And, um, you know, if you know the Midwest, well, kind of if you draw a line from Chicago to Cleveland to Pittsburgh, there's kind of some rust belt there and like up North, um, you start to go south and in the cities like Columbus is, you know, the fastest growing large city in the Midwest. Um, Lexington's a, is smaller. It's about a third the size, um, but they don't grow as fast because they have some kind of constraints on the city size. Uh, but the areas around it are growing at a pretty decent pace. Um, and, and we've got kind of vibrant, diversified economies. So, you know, e- even in Columbus, you kind of think the financial sector is usually like one of the riskier sectors well ours is all insurance like it's nationwide all state uh, are all headquartered here so you know when you're in kind of the, the play of where you're going to be doing whatever you want to call it like workforce level or or maybe even some affordable housing um you know you want a good stable diversified employer mix um so you know columbus and lexington are, are never going to have the property price appreciation of uh you know austin um earlier this decade or or San Francisco last decade, but we're also not going to have kind of the, the drops that they have as well. So it works for us. Yeah. Might not experience the same level of boom, but unlikely to experience a, a bust either. It seems like it's a, a fairly stable, conservative play. If you go into your fund, uh, let me ask you, how is the fund structured? Is it just one big fund? But now, that's investing? Jimmy, stable is starting to get sexy. I mean, all the data centers want to come to Columbus because you open up the paper and we're never in it because we don't have fires or earthquakes or, you know, uh, so, you know, Intel's chip development's moving here. Mm -hmm. So I I don't know. Now that it's no longer boring, we might have to leave. I never said the word boring. I think you used the word boring. It's stable. Stable is good. Sick of volatility? Try stable. Uh, Try stability. Welcome to Columbus. Um, but getting back to my other question, how is, how is an investment, how, how are the investments you make, are they structured? Is it just one big nest opportunity fund, one qualified opportunity fund that invests in all of these different assets? Or do you have different funds for each city or different funds for each asset? Or how, how does it all work? Yeah, as we're set up right now, we've got one opportunity zone fund um, and then two series within that fund. Um, so basically we broke it up based on timeframe uh, where Folks who came in before, I think, May of 21 are in our Series A, and they have the economic rights and benefits to our Series A subsidiary. So we have one subsidiary in Columbus that holds the Columbus assets, one in Lexington that holds the Lexington, Lexington assets. We'd, we didn't capital raise for a while and didn't reopen the next series, I think, until end of 21. Just numbers were not penciling that well. Um, and then those came in afterwards were in the series, or in the series B. Uh, which owns um, two different subsidiaries, Nest Columbus B and Nest Lexington B, which own different properties. Got it. But, uh, you know, one bombed out house being rehabbed uh, next to another one, they all look the same, both kind of financially and kind of when we're done with them. Sure. No, understood. Well, yeah. uh, across that entire fund, both series, how many properties roughly do you currently have in your portfolio? What's the total project cost or value size as well just yeah. trying to get a sense of the of the scale 
Uh, yeah. So uh, we've got about 75 properties. Um, and don't quote me on this exact number. I We're doing our partner letter right now. I should know it, but I've been looking at the details more than like zooming out. Um, you know, I'm probably like 110 units. Um, so relatively small, you know, I would say uh, we've got kind of a good chunk of single families and then uh, probably relatively the same amount from an asset size perspective of multifamily, you know, from a dollar amount um, on the smaller side. So, you know, in Lexington, we do more of the single families. Uh, and so that, you know, we can purchase single families there relatively inexpensive, um, 50 grand. And, uh, you know, but they're going to be heavy rehab costs. So then, you know, we'll get out the door at 150 a square foot there probably. Uh, and we think neighborhoods that are, you know, doing pretty well. And we also kind of build them to a level that we want to hold them rather than just to sell them. Um, so some things that don't like kind of instantly pay back, you know, we spray foam our uh, crawl spaces and have tankless hot water, those types of things, easy to maintain. Um, Columbus, uh, you know, we are all multifamily. So our asset, each individual asset generally costs more here. Um, so our a duplex will be probably 200 that we buy and we'll have, you know, 354 into it by the time we're done. And a lot of it depends on, on the, the you know, we've got one monster of a duplex. It's a super cool brick. Uh, also, I mean, some judge used to live in it or something. Um, so we, we've got to care, be careful not to fall in love with it though, but you know, we'll have more into that one versus we've got some, um, literally, you know, properties that were burnt, which I think is what I walked folks through in the pitch day two times ago. It was a burnout. And so that would be less. I mean, cause it's never going to be a, a $600,000 duplex. It's... No, that was a, that was a great walkthrough you did for our OZ Pitch Day Summer 2023 event. Uh, I'll make sure to link to that in the show notes for today's episode at opportunitydb.com slash podcast. But yeah, Clint showed us a uh, the before picture. He actually did a walkthrough of one of these rather beat up properties that he had just acquired. It, there, there was some burn damage. Uh, it was torn down to the studs in in. Yeah, I think in, in a lot of locations and you took us down into the basement. <laughs> you talked about the tankless. You took us uh, upstairs. I think you basement's talked about the, the first place you got to go. It, What's all, that? Like the basement's the first place you got to go. All you got to go to the basement. You got to see how much water damage there is, right? Mechanicals, all the stuff. Yeah. 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 And the star uh, of that show was Oscar. That's right. Working on that's right. Oscar. Yeah. Oscar was the star of that show. I remember. Hey, what? What, um, what? What was I asking? Oh, the total. The total value of of your entire portfolio at at current moment. Um, are you at about ten million dollars, more or less? It sounds like in net assets, about ten, um, and then kind of gross, we're at like uh, about fifteen. Got it. Good. Um, where are you finding value these days? And it's a it's a tougher market um transaction volumes down are are you are you still buying up as many properties this year in 23 as you had been in previous years where, where are you finding value yeah um no we we we've slowed um our, our purchasing for sure um you know we, there's kind of a dichotomy right now I mean a lot of times when real estate starts to slow you know like now um you, you see it first in transactions slowing you don't necessarily see prices dropping as much uh, because, you know, would-be sellers kind of get used to what they think the price will be. Would-be buyers, you know, their financing costs have increased and they're kind of repenciling their numbers and, and there seems to be a gap for a while usually. 
And so we're, we're not seeing a ton of transactional volume. Um, and we're also not seeing, you know, prices slide across the board. I'm not seeing distress, um, certainly not in, in Columbus. Um, but there, there are some pockets, you know, uh, and I would say, you know, prior to this year, when people start talking about their their pipeline, their acquisition pipeline, and it's it's proprietary. Um, I don't know, maybe for other people uh, in Lexington, we're kind of one of only three groups that can take down a, you know, a package of five houses that will do something that small, right? That's heavy rehab. Um, and so I, I would say we maybe had the closest thing I've seen to actually kind of proprietary pipeline. But if we said no, they're, they're calling one of the other two people. Hmm. Um, yeah. But I, I am seeing a little bit now how kind of the certainty of close is starting to matter to folks. So if, you know, if you've done deals and you've been doing them and you've closed, um, so that's something we talk about, you know, during COVID we had, we had uh, offers out there, you know, in February when we all kind of realized, oh, wow, this is the thing um, that, you know, that we came through on. And uh, a lot of folks kind of dropped all their, their offers at that point in time. So that certainty to close, I think is starting to pay a little bit of dividends um, but but we're just seeing pockets of decent deals um, that have kind of reverted to the new world of, you know, everyone's finance costs have gone up. Um, so we have to think about that and and uh, not not continue just buying away. Good. Yeah, well, understandable that transaction volume has slowed for you this year as well. Hey, let's talk tax cuts. You want to so, talk but, tax but we're cuts? We're waiting because we're just at, at some point. You know, one group is right and the other becomes kind of wrong. And yeah. So, I mean, I don't see the downside to just kind of waiting and pouncing when potentially there's some distress. Sure. And eventually you'll get those uh, that price drop at some point uh, coming Maybe. up here. Hopefully if you're a buyer. Uh, hopefully not if you're a seller, right? <laughs> Depends which side of the equation you're on, I guess. Uh, but let, 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 let's talk about tax cuts. Um, Clint, because before we came on, you said, hey, I want to talk about. I want some. Well, yeah. Who doesn't? Who doesn't like tax cuts? Uh, as you know, Clint, and as a lot of my audience knows, I'm sure Opportunity Zones is a provision uh, of the 2017 Tax Cuts and Jobs Act signed into law by President Trump. A lot of those TCJA provisions, these tax cuts, are actually expiring at the end of 2025. Um, some of the provisions are expiring at the end of 2026, including opportunity zones. As an investor, as a high net worth investor or a family office, um, someone who's tax conscious, in your mind, Clint, what should I keep my eye on? What what should I be aware of or what should I do with regards to knowing that a lot of these provisions in the TCJA are expiring here in the upcoming years? What are you advising your clients to do? Um, yeah, so kind of the same, you know, theme as, you know, real estate operations that, um, you know, it seems like it's it's maybe likely we're in a little bit of a lower return environment than we've been in or have been used to during a 30 year kind of interest rate decline. Um, so kind of focusing on the the basics, the blocking and tackling, I think, uh, makes some sense now. Um, so picking up kind of non-market related returns, if you can. Uh, like tax alpha, um, I think becomes a little bit more important. Um, assuming the the you know tax cuts and jobs act tax tax brackets and uh, structure is not 
extended, which I think that that should be kind of the basis for it. And, and it's a bit of a heads you win, tails you don't lose by doing the planning now. Uh, so one thing that we're talking to folks about is, is Roth conversions. You know, now is the time to start thinking about about that. Um, you know, we work with investors and a lot of them are, they can fill up their, you know, if they're a, a kind of medium income folks, they can fill up the 22% tax bracket and we can show them like, listen, in, in two years, that's going to be, you know, 33%. Um, so go ahead and like fill that bracket out now and move your IRAs that you still owe taxes on into Roths. Um, so you've got two years to do that. And so basically pay, pay the tax bill now uh, at a lower rate. And then you've got after-tax Roth assets as opposed to paying that tax bill down the road at a higher rate, right? Yep. So a little bit of a tax arbitrage strategy. And I love the way you put it, like, heads you win, tails you don't lose, <laughs> right? Yeah. So I mean, a little bit know, of tax there, there alpha that way. Folks, what else? What else? There are I? some potential folks who could potentially lose. You know, if you're middle-income folks and you're on the verge of retirement, your income's about to drop. Maybe, but for the majority of people with relatively steady income before and after that sunset, it's not going to hurt you to go ahead and do that now, even if it doesn't uh, uh, expire. Um, you know, another thing that I I see a lot of folks think it's just for ultra high net worth is the estate tax minimization kind of techniques, um, which which does sell nicely in with opportunity zone funds as a as a private equity holding. Um, you know the Lifetime gift and uh, gift and estate tax exemption is set to sunset as well. Um, so right now it's uh, you know 26, 27 million between you and a spouse uh, that you can pass to your through your state tax free, um, where it's going to drop, you know, basically in half in the end of twenty twenty six. So you know even if you're not worth thirteen million, you know, but you think that you're going to grow into it. Uh, now would be the time to kind of do some of that planning um, because, you know, you'll lose a good chunk of that opportunity uh, as soon as the clock strikes 12. And, um, you know, OZs are, are a great option for that estate tax minimization, you know, putting them in uh, a grant or trust. Um, and there's a ton of ways to do it to kind of fully optimize it. But effectively, you put normal asset into a, a trust like that and um, you kind of freeze the value of it for the, the value of your estate at, at what it goes in at. And then the appreciation, um, you know, will be taxed at capital gains for your heirs when they sell. Where the OZ kind of can blend it, where you get the the freeze on the estate taxes. And then, you know, assuming your heirs um, hold it for the entire period of time of 10 years, then they get the tax-free exit and depreciation recapture free. So that that can be that that I see being the right vehicle to fund uh, one of those, which is generally long term holding as well. So it makes some sense. Um, yeah, those are the kind of like the, the the things that we're we're looking at and talking about um, with uh, higher net worth investors. Uh, it makes it makes perfect sense to me. I mean, you mentioned earlier we're in a lower return environment right now. How do you find alpha? You can find alpha through higher returns, but that's no guarantee, especially these days. Uh, asset values seem to be pulling back a little bit, but you can always work on controlling your costs. We talked about that earlier. You can get alpha out of that. And then you can also work on tax planning. You can get tax alpha. I love those uh, those two strategies, just that basic blocking and tackling. Uh, Clint, it's been a pleasure speaking with you today. We're kind of winding down our time here. Yeah. Wanted to know, just zooming out big picture, 
what you're seeing, what you're keeping an eye on in terms of trends in the broader private equity real estate landscape? What what are you keeping an eye on? Um, yeah, as far as uh, broader real estate, I'm kind of keeping an eye on, uh, you know, who, who's going to be right, buyers or kind of would-be sellers that are on the sideline as far as pricing goes. Of course, you know, people are watching kind of the interest rates and whatnot, but uh, at some point in time, transaction numbers will pick up, you know, they have to. Um, and it'll be interesting to see, you know, which way the prices adjust. Um, you know, on the OZ side, I'm obviously, you know, keeping an eye on the, um, some of the legislation coming in place now, the tax extenders and, um, you know, the OZ transparency act, which I think we're not going to, you know, hear anything about that for a while, but, uh, I mean, that would be another, um, heads you win, tells you don't lose. If, if you're going to invest in an OZ fund and you're able to do it on December 31 of this year versus January 1 of next year. All else equal, you choose December 31 of this year, because if that bill does go through, then you would get the um, 10% step up in cost basis. Yep. Assuming it's written the way it's written now. Um, yeah, that, those are kind of the things that uh, that, that I'm looking at. Uh, that's great, Clint. Uh, well, again, it's been a pleasure speaking with you today. Pleasure as always to see you and continue to work with you and and your Nest Opportunity Fund. If anyone in our audience of high net worth investors, advisors, family offices, they're interested in learning more about you, your approach, uh, and your Opportunity Zone Fund at Nest, where can they go to learn more? Uh, yeah, you can just reach out to me. My email is clint at nestopportunityfund.com um, or call the office at 614-469-4685. And if I don't return the email, which sometimes I get, you know, a little bit behind, uh, shoot me a text 614-905-6233. But any sort of year-end type tax planning doesn't happen the last week of the year. Just while I give my contact information out, just whenever I know that. That's true. Yeah, hopefully uh, that's, that's better done a little bit earlier in the year than the last week of the year. Last week of the year can be a little bit hectic. Uh, today is not our, early. What's that? Today is not early. Today is not early. That's true. <laughs> and we're recording this uh, the first week of December. So um, it's only going to get busier, I'm sure. Uh, for our listeners out there, uh, I will have show notes for today's episode available on our website as always, opportunitydb.com slash podcast. There you can go to find all of the resources that Clint and I discussed on today's show. And please be sure to subscribe to us on YouTube or your favorite podcast listening app to always get the latest episodes. Clint, again, it's been a pleasure. Thanks so much for joining me today. Hey, thanks for having me, Jimmy. It's fun. That's it for today's show. Thanks for listening. As a reminder, you can find us online at opportunitydb.com. The Opportunity Zones podcast is produced by Opportunity DB. This podcast is available on YouTube, Apple, Spotify, and all other podcast listening platforms. Just hit that subscribe or follow button so you get all of our new episodes as we release them. And we'll be back soon with another exciting episode.